Welcome back, everybody, to a, another episode of Clubhouse Talk with your usual two guys tonight. It's Joseph and Kylie. We're, we're sitting here and have a. I think we have a pretty good show for you guys. As we we gonna we're gonna look at the Braves. We got some College World Series recap from the last week and a half. I uh, got some golf recap to do as we uh, seem to keep getting these busy, busy two weeks, but we like it. It gets us a, a good jam-packed episode. How are you doing tonight, Joe? I'm doing good. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, like Kylie said, we got a, a pretty full list of stuff to talk about. and um, Looking forward to the Independence Day weekend. Absolutely. it's uh, We're sitting here on July 1st. It's a busy month in July, especially when you, when you start talking about the MLB. I mean, you got the you have the all-star game coming up here in a week and a half. You have the trade deadline at the end of the month on the 31st. So it's a, it's a very happening time. If you're, if you're a Braves fan, if you're a baseball fan in general, there's, there's a lot to look forward to in the next 30 days. Absolutely. I agree. So I, I guess, uh, where, where do you want to start here, Joe? Do we, do we want to start on, start on the Braves baseball? Do you want to start at, start at talking about the all-star game? Where, where do you want to go first? Let's, uh, Let's start with the Braves, give a little recap of the last few weeks, and we'll, uh, we'll find some sort of natural segue. How about that? Okay. I think that, uh, I think that sounds pretty fair to me. So, I mean, what, the last time we were – we had gotten through that, that kind of tough stretch in terms of the, the teams were tough when, uh, back at the beginning of the month. And then now you're looking at the last two weeks, we've had a lot of games against the Mets. And this was a, this was a really important time for the Braves to try and start making up some ground. And they've made up a little bit. They still haven't found their way over 500, but at least in, we haven't lost any ground when we've been playing the Mets. I think we've had two full splits uh, with the Mets since we last spoke. And, and here we are sitting in a series uh, tonight with them. Another, I think it's either a three or four game series, but the last two weeks, we, we basically have had the, uh, those, I think the last time we were talking would have been on the 16th. So that put us right in the middle of that, Boston series. So we had the St. Louis series at home. Uh, took three out of four there against St. Louis with only losing one game was the first game, that doubleheader uh, that Bryce Wilson pitched. And then you had the four game series on the road at New York, the four game series on the road at Cincinnati. And now you've got the Mets here in town. They're going for the, uh, you've got the rubber match today as the series is one, one, but I guess, what are your impressions of the last two weeks? You know, honestly, it, this is more of kind of what I would expect from the Braves, I guess, just given the roster and with the injuries we've had, which we've beaten that dead horse. But this is at least it seems like we're playing the level of baseball that we should be. We're not, you know, getting blown out. I mean, we a couple nights ago, we blew that lead against the Mets um, pretty badly. Um, but I mean, that's going to happen, but it, it, it seems knock on wood that we're trending in the right direction. We're starting to get a lot better starts out of Drew Smiley consistently, which is good to see. Um, Charlie Morton and, and Morton, well. Morton Morton's had pretty well. three really good outings. I, I know he kind of got shelled there at the very end on, on Monday night or, or Tuesday night, but uh, I mean, he's he's had a couple of really dominant outings. He almost had a no hitter there against the uh, the Marlins, but it's been it's been pretty decent stuff for him. Uh, and the offense is waking up a lot too. I mean, just looking looking at some of these run totals in the last two weeks: four runs, nine runs. You, you did have two games in a row where we had twenty last night. Yeah, we had twenty last night. You did have two weird games where where you won one to nothing, and Ronald was. The only only person who scored the run, which was pretty pretty interesting, and then three runs. They scored three and lost. Scored three and lost. Uh, three and win. One and then four, four and then twenty last night. So yeah, it appears the bats are starting to wake up. We're getting um, Freddie. The last month has been phenomenal. Freddie Freddy uh, is looking like his normal self, yeah. and, and and we we were saying it the whole year that it was just a matter of time that he was going to find his form. It was just a slow start to the year. Thank God it wasn't a 60 game season. It's 162 this year, but yeah. So he started to hit a lot better. Ozzy's been phenomenal the last couple of weeks, um, which has helped. I mean, with Azuna being out of the lineup, not having that big power gap, we had to find it somewhere kind of an unsuspecting figure, but Ozzy's got some 
very sneaky power in that. For such a little guy, it just I know it's it's awesome. But he's he's played really well. Um, Austin Riley's started to kind of scratch and claw his way out of that slump. He was in there for a couple weeks, Um, so things are are generally trending upward. Um, I think we're still handicapped a little bit by the bullpen. I think that there's a couple guys had we, you know, had the pieces in place that probably would be in triple a right now with the way their season's going. Um, but that, that's just going to be the way it is the season. We just don't have the talent at the bullpen. We have 16 losses or, or from the bullpen this year. It's, it's atrocious. You're sitting here 60 games in or whatever it is. They're 48 or 38 and 41. And so take out those 16 losses and you're looking at 38 and 25, your 13 games are 500. I mean, yeah, you're going to have some blown losses. Just take half of those away and you're over 500. So it, yeah, and, and we're, it, it got, that has to be such a momentum killer every time of you go out and you do the right thing, you get the lead and then your bullpen comes in and they can't hold it worth anything. Yeah. And, and pitching, is an extremely mental part of baseball and, and you really ride those waves of good, good outings and bad outings. And the Braves bullpen just hasn't had much to dig out of the memory of, you know, <laughs> Hey, you know, I can lean on this start. I'd looked really good. I'll go watch this film and try to recapture that. It just hasn't been. There. I mean, Tyler Matzik last year was a huge piece. He's had a, not a great season. I mean, AJ Minter, Mentor's looked like old mentor, which is the problem. He's looked like 2019 mentor, which is no bueno. Um, And then Shane Green. I mean, I I guess you can't expect – I think I had my hopes a little too high of him coming back and not having a full spring training. And and it usually – you know, it takes hitters a while to catch up even in the first few weeks of the season up to the pitching. But these guys – I mean, they're in the middle of the season now, so – his stuff not being as sharp as he would probably like at this point in the season. He's gotten rocked a couple times. I think he'll figure his way out, but man, these, these mid season signings that you've seen the last couple of years, none of them have worked out. I mean, Kim rule for the Cubs did not work out. Well, you had Keiko two years ago for the Braves, and frankly, he wasn't much of anything uh, when we signed him in June. And now you look at Shane green. It's like these, these guys signing in the middle of the year, it's, it's really hard for these pitchers in the middle of the year to, to come in and perform. I, I think Shane will probably find his form. Sadly, it'll probably be pretty late in the season. I, I imagine it'll be August and he'll really start looking like himself, but it, it hurts. I mean, you brought up 2019 and I mean, I've scoured the internet looking tweets from different fans and stuff. And people are talking about how it feels like 2019 and in some ways. I think our bullpen's worse than it was in 2019 because at least in 19, we felt like we had the ability to get to the ninth inning with the lead. We had guys that could set it up and get there, but then you just, you had no clue what you were going to do to finish it off. I mean, you had Luke Jackson, you had other people revolving doors through that season. Now I feel like you can't, you can't even get to Will Smith. I mean, Will Smith hasn't been great. You can't even get to him anymore because you get up the lead in the seventh or eighth inning. I agree. We have we have no setup guy. I mean, Chris Martin's another guy's had a really bad year. Yeah, his last month has been rough. I mean, again, Luke Jackson has been the only guy out of our bullpen who you could say has had a good season. God, it's just weird to say that. I mean, it it is, and we lost we we lost Tukey to injury early in the year. I don't know how much of a factor he would have been, but at least it would be another arm throw around but it yep. just I mean Newcomb has his Same old Newcomb it's still the inconsistent self there yeah. are times he's he, there there are some nights he will go out there and he'll strike out he'll he'll go pitch face five batters and he'll strike out two or three guys and not give him a walk and you're gonna feel great and then there's another time he comes in and he can't find the strike zone and, and then leaves one of those curveballs just belt high and it gets clobbered 430 so yeah, so he's he, his career needs some revitalization after I guess <laughs> his uh, his ro- full rookie season in 2018 when he was a starter. Yeah, when he was phenomenal, and then got you know sort of put into this bullpen long reliever, stretch him out, shorten him up, sort of limbo, and I think that that stunted his career a little bit. But it, and it's just I think it's 
it's similar to 2019, but I do agree with you that at least there was a door to be revolved in 2019. There's just not an answer to be had because your only real answer is do you put Luke Jackson in that closing role? And I, I don't think you do. I think you keep him where he is now because he's giving you quality outings. And I, you don't I, want to throw him in the closing role. And then he loses his stuff because he's not a good closer. And then you have got nobody. I know. I, that, that's the thing is we sit here and I, I, every time the Braves get there, if they don't have a five-run lead when it gets to the seventh inning, I'm genuinely scared because I, I don't know if they're going to be able to hold on. And then the even – and then you start talking about the other problem is you get into these games where, okay, you might be down because you're not going to go out and beat everybody's starter. So you get in these games where you're down one run, two run, maybe three runs in the seventh. And last year you kind of felt like, oh, hey, the Braves might give yourself a chance to get back in the game. And then the bullpen just keeps giving up more runs and then the game gets out of hand. And then next thing you know, you're down six and the game's over. So mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of been a little bit of both. And clearly, like I said, it's been 16 losses. I wonder how many of those other ones have been a one or two run, you know, deficit that has then grown to more that you could have gotten your way back in. I guarantee you it's been at least another four or five minimum of those. At least, at least. I mean, we've been within shouting distance of so many games that have just gotten absolutely out of hand. And Um, you can't expect the offense to score eight runs a night. So there's gotta be times that you gotta go lock down and, it seems like the bullpen wants to be locked down when the starters suck. Starter gets blown up in the first three innings, and next thing you know, you're going to get six innings of shutout relief when the game's already eight to nothing. But they got to find a way to get 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 themselves on track. I think they're really missing um, Darren O'Day. Not so much in what he did. I think he was the leader in that bullpen, and I think that he he kind of rallied the troops. He kept people together. He kept it light down there. Kept it loose. I, I just don't know if we have that leader down there in the bullpen. I don't think it's Shane Green. I don't think Will Smith's a leader. I think they're missing now, a presence. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know too much about it, so I can't speak a whole lot on it. But I, I will say it feels like the energy on this team as a whole has been much lower than in the past. And granted, there hasn't been a whole lot to be energetic about. But even, you know, the last couple of years when the Braves were kind of coined as like the comeback team where we'd be down – you know, three, four runs with a couple innings left. Like it, it felt like every hit there was energy. It was exploding in the, in the dugout. And now it's just kind of like guys are just going through the motions out there. Fans never turned the game off in the, in the eighth inning. It was great. Mm-hmm. I never would turn a game off because you never knew what was going to happen. And, you know, more times than not, they gave you something, even if they didn't win, they gave you something to watch come to the end. Yeah, I can't tell you the amount of times now I've, as sad as it is, I turn the game off in the seventh inning because, like, yeah, it's not coming back. And I think, I think a lot of it is some of the veteran leadership that's been lost over the last couple of years. Um, I mean, Nick Markakis was a veteran guy we had in the dugout. Mm-hmm. His numbers weren't great, but again, a, a, an important role in the team to have guys like that. Charlie Culberson was another guy who's no longer with the Braves. And then you know, McCann last year, McCann, Darno. You know, you get you get all these veteran guys in there that have a presence in the clubhouse, and I, I think it's lacking. And I think Freddie Freddie's a phenomenal leader, and I'm, I'm not taking that away from him. But I think his struggles early in the season probably bothered him internally, where he wasn't you know rallying the guys as much. Yeah, it, it seems to me like there's two guys on this team that from the previous seasons that play with a lot of energy. It's Acuna and Albies. Yeah, And then you get, you know, Heredia does play with a little bit of energy out there. Some of the newer guys, Almonte, but it, it's just not consistently. I mean, we, we spoke about Dansby um, probably about a week ago. It just like, it doesn't feel like the, the Dansby of old hyping up the crowd, you know, going nuts after base hits. It, it, he's making you, mistakes I, in the field, which is I know shocking to me because I'm mean, actually halfway joking. Like is something going on with like him and his, I know he moved in with his girlfriend and like, I don't know if they're having problems living together now. I think they have a house together, but I mean like it, it's half joking, half serious of like, like there is something off of them and I don't know what it is. I don't know what's distracting him, but it's not, it's not the dance me of old. And I, I think you look at last year's team, you had Azuna and Azuna was a, was a veteran guy 
who brought that leadership, but he also had that energy. You look in 2018, you look in 2019 and you had uh, Josh Donaldson kind of be that guy. He was, Mm -hmm. he was a veteran and he brought that energy. And I I think that as we start looking towards the end of the month and looking at, at trade pieces, this is like, that's the type of thing that I think they would, they really, really need is somebody because this team definitely needs a shot in the arm and a trade's got to be, got to be the way that they're going to do it. And I think that whoever they bring in needs to be a veteran guy who also is energetic because it's just hard for Ozzy and Acuna when they're 22, 23 to be a leader on the whole team. Like that's just, that's a hard thing to do, especially when they're also Latin and they don't speak the greatest of English. Like that, that's a legitimate, you know, problem in the clubhouse. Yeah. And, and I think Carrier. Pablo Sandoval's tried to step up and take that veteran role, but I mean, he's a guy who's, he gets at bats two or three times a week. Yeah. Without that guy who's always on the field, always in the lineup, it, it's just hard to be the spark plug. And, you know, I, I, I do think it's, it's been an issue because certainly as a fan, it's been different to watch this team. And, and we got spoiled the last couple of years. I mean, the, the level of offense that we played at was unreal and there was a lot to cheer about, but it, it just seems like we roll over on a lot of these games, which was something we never have seen under Snickers tenure. Agreed. That was a, a, more of a Gonzalez. <laughs> it was, it was a Tony mantra of just like, he seemed like when it was, when the game was out of reach, it, you know, the team laid down and it was like, all right, that's it for the night. And ever since it's been there, it just seems like they've had that. You said the comeback kids, they just never, never die. And so mm-hmm. I not saying they can't get it back. Uh, I mean, heck they've, it's pretty incredible. They've gone from what used to they, the last two seasons, they were the best team in the seventh inning on when it came to, to OPS, to average, to runs. And they're statistically the worst team in the major leagues in that category that should pass the seventh inning. So like, I know you're facing good pitching, but they were doing the same thing the last two years. So it's in a little bit, it's been bad luck. They're still hitting the ball hard and they're not getting, they're not letting the balls aren't finding a hole. Um, so I guess, you can expect a little bit of regression, I think, in the second half of the season. They might get a few more of those, but this, this team better make sure that they don't find themselves out of it at the end of the month so that when they have those comebacks, it means something. I mean, I, I agree. we're four and a half back right now. We, we've got a lead on the Mets at the moment. So, I mean, we're, we're right there. And after having what has been a very – um, not good, I guess, season, just top down. I mean, the, the news with Soroka having the retear of his Achilles. I mean, just all of this news piling on and on. There's just not been a lot to cheer about. We're still right there. So if we can get, you know, if we can win some like seven to eight out of our next 10 games or something like that and go on one of those runs, we'll be right in the mix. It's just we we need to stay – within shouting distance, I'd like to see us within, you know, two and a half, three games by the end of the month. And then hopefully we'll start to get some of those injured guys back and maybe it'll revitalize the clubhouse a little bit and, uh, you know, see what happens. We have six games against Miami and three games at Pittsburgh left before the end, before the all-star break. So that is nine extremely extremely winnable games if you ask me three of those are at home this weekend for the fourth of july it'll be packed um great crowds the braves statistically have been amazing against the marlins the last few years and pittsburgh has not been very good so i mean i I think you have a legitimate chance to go six and three seven and two in this stretch coming into the all-star break and that puts you up over 500 i think if they can find a way to get over 500 before the end of or, or right around the Ulster break, get to it or get over that hump somehow. That'll just be a huge burden off this team. They haven't been over 500 yet. So yep. then you start looking at the second half of the season. You're like, okay, yeah, this has been bad. It could be a whole lot worse. We haven't played our best ball and we're right here. So, and we have to win the division because the NL West. Yes. The NL West is taking both of the wild card spots. There's, there's no doubt about that. The Giants, the Padres, and the Dodgers are absolutely incredible. Um, I, I think they're all fifteen something games over five hundred. You're not catching them. No, we absolutely have to win the division, and I think it's going to be interesting to see uh, being a kind of 
if we can get in a reasonable range come the tread deadline, what the uh, the front office does and what Liberty Media is willing to uh, to do. They better, they better be willing to pony up something. I mean, I think, like I, I said at the beginning of the year, and I still believe it, I think that Anthopolis trades someone big this year. I think he has to. Um, and I think that the reason why he has to is because I think he's going to go after somebody. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't try and get someone that's got some years left and can be a power back for him to fill that void that is in a left. Cause you're not, we, I mean, we've said it before, you're not getting a zoom back. He's, he's done. So yeah. you're looking, you need a left fielder or you need a DH now for the next four years. Mm-hmm. So in a big lineup, and I think that the perfect person to do it, you're going to have to overpay, but the Diamondbacks are terrible. They're trying to rebuild everything. Go and overpay for Cattell uh, Marte out there. The guy is an absolute stud, great speed, great power. He can play center field and then you can move, um, you can move Pache or anybody else over to left field. If you want with that defense in left field, you'd be fantastic. He can play infield in case somebody ever got hurt. Um, I guess if you ever wanted to trade Dansby, you can move him over to to second and Ozzy had played short and growing up until uh, the majors. So you've got options to move people around. And I, I think that is my, number one go for it of like that is the guy I want this this trade deadline. Yeah, I like it. I I think we need to get something. I I would hope that we would add something in the bullpen as well, but I think that might be a little greedy, but you're absolutely right. I mean we have got to fill that void from with Azuna because I haven't followed the legal proceedings very much, but um from the report, not optimistic about nothing's happened since then and no word from the LB has had on it, but um, so it, it's still the same limbo as it was a month ago when the news broke, but yeah, so they, they've got to do something and it's, I think it's going to be really telling about where, what direction their ownership is going to take, whether they're you know serious about this club being contenders year after year, or whether it's, let's, you know, try to flip a buck here on the team. So, yeah, it's, that's, that's the thing that every Braves fan is, is dreading is you don't know when, with the, with an ownership like Liberty Media, who's a company running a business, you don't know what way they look at it. Do they really care about a championship like the rest of the fans, or are they just trying to run this like a true business and they could care less if they win if they win a ring, great, but you don't know how hard they're willing to go for it. Yeah, you know, I I think from a business perspective, I I'm sure they want it, they don't want the team to be like the Mariners or something like that. I I don't think that's their intention. They want the team to be good and be competitive, but that's all they really need. And, and the Braves fan base is massive. I'd, I'd say it's probably one of the bigger baseball. So they'll make money off. It's just a matter if they want to put a winning product on the field. And I think how all, they money- care about, all they care about is the playoffs. Cause you get to the playoffs, you get that revenue, you get the TV. Exactly. That's, that is what they want bare minimum every year. And I think after that, they're just, they kind of sit around and they're like, Hey, well, if the team makes a run and we get, you know, three series out of it instead of, instead of one or two, then Hey, great. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree. I, I think, I think their intentions are good, but they're more focused on the bottom line than they are about winning a world series. Well, if you're, if you're any Braves fan out there and you just got a, you got a couple billion dollars lying around and, and you actually care about this team Get in touch with us. We'd love to try and start making some offers for the Braves here. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, seriously, we we really – I wish we still – we had legitimate owners and not, not a business. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's tough. And I think just with everything that happened in the last year with COVID, I think it made it look even worse. So, yeah. Um, it's – it's a tough situation to be in as a Braves fan. I, think. Uh, I mean, if you look at where the team was five, six years ago to where they are now, I, you know, I, I don't think you can be too upset. But knowing that we're in that window, or we were supposed to be in that window, you know, last year, this year, and for the next few years to win a World Series or contend for a World Series, and this is kind of the and this is the product that we're seeing this year. It's it's definitely disappointing. Um, you know, it, some things didn't pan out, some things out of anybody's control, but it's just, 
it's been unfortunate, but I, I feel better on this show than I have on the previous few shows. I, I agree. Um, I, I think we're I think that in the we right were, direction. We were so scared that they were just going to nosedive with all the bad news coming on and all the injuries. I think we were both just so scared we'd go through that stretch of this month or last month of June and have a month where you lose two thirds of your games and you look up and you're 10 games out of five, you're 10 games back and you're, you're 15 games below 500 or something. And then you're looking here and you're like, well, how in the world are you ever going to convince, you know, the ownership to, to fight back on this team. And so they've done, I think enough to, yeah. to keep, to keep interest. The fans are, are ready. I think the team is, like you said, they're, they're getting ready to explode and we'll see, see where the trade deadline brings. I mean, there's, um, Jose Barrios is an awesome starter in uh, Minnesota that I think that the twins would be willing to get rid of. You're going to have to pay pretty high. He's got extra years on his contract. Um, a guy like Richard Rodriguez for the, um, for the pirates has been a great bullpen piece. He's three and one on the year there with 10 saves with a 1.78 ERA. So 27 Ks with a 0.69 whip. The guy has been unstoppable and he's with the pirates. So they're going to need a closer this year. Like these are the type of pieces that the Braves are going to have to look for. And I think that bare minimum, it's a bat and it's a bullpen piece. And then if you really can find a great deal, grab a starter too, because it definitely can't hurt them. And I think that they're going to, if they really want have no the playoffs, you need another starter. Yeah. We have, we have no reserve viable starters. Zero. You get uh, Noah back in a month, but you don't know what he's going to look like. You can't, you can't bank on it, and especially he broke when, his hand. I know. Also, can feel right in his hand for a while. <laughs> I mean, it, it, I think, I think you you hit the nail on the head. We need a power bat. You know, even it doesn't even have to be a superstar bullpen piece. We just need a viable bullpen piece that can go out there and give you good innings. Yep, someone and consistent then, every night. You know what you're going to get from him. And I would even say we don't even need a, a superstar starter. We just need somebody that can give you five innings. Yeah, I don't think it has to be a top line. I think it needs to be yeah. a three. I mean, you've got Freed. Freed's starting to get form. Anderson proved that he can pitch in the big moments last year. You've got Morton. You've got three legitimate starters there. And then uh, I call it, Kyle Muller has been great, but you you can't bank on it if, to carry mm-hmm. for a whole season. And same and Drew Smiley is not a top of the line guy. He's going to give you your five innings, but I'm saying if you could get a third starter, just in case Anderson falters come playoff time, then you've got an extra backup. So you have all three, like that is, that's the perfect, perfect move here. In my opinion. Absolutely. That's a, that is a complete shopping list. So we'll see what happens. I mean, in, in two weeks, when we get back on here, we'll have a really good idea. And then we'll have, we'll have one podcast the week of the trade deadline, which hopefully we've, it moves by then, but that'll be a really hectic week and we'll have a really good idea of what, who the Braves are looking at based off rumors and, and all that. So, um, but we can, we can stretch actually before I would go into the all-star game. Um, I do want to drive back to, you mentioned it a little bit ago, the, uh, the news about Soroka re-tearing mm-hmm. his AC or re-tearing his Achilles, just thoughts, reactions. Just absolutely gutted. I mean, the guy has been grinding since the day he got injured to make a full recovery and, and hopefully be back on the field this year. He's had setback. He had you know, a setback with his shoulder, and then he had more discomfort in that ankle. They did an exploratory surgery, which is never a good sign. And then he's walking to the clubhouse, feels a pop, and has a full tear. So obviously something in the initial procedure was not done right and that it wasn't as, as all squared away as had been reported. In my opinion, I mean, I'm not, I don't practice medicine, but I, it's just I weird. Think, He's 22 years old. You don't see this happen in 22. I mean, you maybe see people do it in their thirties. Like, I mean, athletes that you've seen tear their AC or their Achilles in the last few years, Kevin Durant was in his thirties. Ryan Howard was in his thirties. Wainwright was in his thirties. Like guys who've done it. Kobe Bryant was. Yeah. He, he was older. 30. Yeah. And so it just, it's so weird to see him at his young age, having this problem of, of two Achilles. I don't know if he's just, He's got some condition that he's predisposed to it of just, he's got a weak Achilles or, or the procedure was done poorly the first time. I don't know which one it is, but he, he, it's absolutely terrible because you're going to lose him now until bare minimum, I'd say next all-star break. 
And that's if everything goes squared away. There's no way in heck they're going to push them back for the for the uh, beginning of the season like they tried to this year. No, they they need to be really careful here because it, if it's mismanaged this time, I mean that you, you hate to say it, but it, in a realistic situation, I mean it could be a curtain call in his career. Yeah, I mean it, it's very difficult to come back from one, um, much less two. <laughs> I mean, Matt, another setback, and I you know, potentially three seasons without throwing a, a pitch in the major leagues. It's just, and, and you can't. Setback, I mean, you just can't, you'll, I mean, you, you don't want to put that on somebody, but it, it's just hard to imagine he would come back to the form that he was in. I, I mean, the thing I think about is how he's going to be dealing with this with, with the way it just popped literally walking there's no way he's not thinking about this every single day the rest of his life. Just walking up the stairs, he's it's going to be in the back of his mind. There's no way he can ever trust his Achilles fully again. Mm-hmm. So it's it's how does he mentally fight that off? I mean, there, there's only been one other athlete that I could tell. I looked up a little bit um, over the weekend and just trying to see if it's and it happened to anybody else. And uh, there there is one guy for the White Sox. Um, I think he's a third baseman. He tore his Achilles twice. And he had, so he tore it. And then, but when he tore it the second time, it was like 60 days after he had just gotten out of the boot. So it just clearly, it wasn't healed then. And it, he retore it and then he missed the whole next year. And then it led into the COVID season. And then there was nothing in the minors last year. So he actually was out for three years and now he, he's having a good year. So I hope Soroka somehow finds a way to get in touch with that guy to see at least what his recovery was like and what, how his mental battle was with it, because it's not, this isn't something you want to go through alone. No, I mean, it's, it's tough. I'm absolutely gutted for the, I mean, he's a young guy too. It's off to a great start of his career. I mean, it, it, it's a nightmare scenario and a very well-liked player and, and somebody that the Braves organization really needs going forward. Um, but yeah, we'll hope for the best and, I'm sure he's getting all of the best treatment possible. I just, it, it, it's unbelievable how horrible that situation unfolded. It's just, I fear we had to take note of it because it's a pretty significant thing for a significant piece for the Braves. So, I mean, we can go on to, to better news. If we were talking about all those players who've been playing great, you mentioned Freddie, Ozzy, Ronnie, been absolutely stellar all season, really killing it the last month. And those are your three people for the Braves that I think voting ended today, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And so those, those are three guys that I think are very, very likely all going to be on the all-star team for the Braves. So there's some some good piece of news. And Ronald looks like he's going to do the, the home run derby again this year. Um, you excited, worried, uh, thoughts, anticipation? Oh, I'm not worried at all. I'm I'm pumped. You don't believe in you don't believe in the home run curse of the people that play in the derby and then have the second half slumps and no, I think that's much nonsense. <laughs> uh, I was actually disappointed on on that topic to see a lot of the the guys who I thought would be. I mean, Fernando Tatis would have been awesome to watch in a home run derby. Yeah, I mean, he out. he can't do it. He can't do it with his shoulder. I I understand why he's not yeah. doing it. Um, just with what he's gone through, there's no way he could risk in, re-injuring it. Fair, fair. And that Kyle Schwarber, who's been on. If you haven't been keeping up, it, at one point, I don't know what the number's at now, but he had 15 home runs in his last 17 games. He elected to not do it. I cannot believe he turned it down with how great he's hitting. That is the guy they had to get in, in my opinion. It's just the guy is – I mean, he's on literally Barry Bonds' pace hitting home runs when Bonds was in his prime. On steroids, in his prime, <laughs> and he's doing that right now. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. It, so that was disappointing, but, you know – They'll fill out the lineup. It's it'll it'll be awesome. I, I can't wait to see Ronnie out there hacking away. Trey, Trey Mancini is an awesome story with the home run derby. The, he was mm-hmm. out last year taking getting chemo treatment. Didn't know if he was ever going to. Heck, didn't even know if he was going to get through chemo, let alone play baseball ever again. And he's going to be out there this year. Trevor Story is going to be the hometown guy for Colorado out there. Uh, I I think Vlad. I want to say Vlad Junior is doing it. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I haven't heard he's not. Okay, so I think he is as well. Got he might hit balls literally 500 feet in in Colorado. <laughs> it's gonna be this year's gonna be show like no other with the with the altitude. Um, and, and normally they actually kind of 
they, they put the balls in a humidifier before the game so the ball doesn't fly as much. I've heard that they're not going to put balls in a humidifier before the home run derby so they go even further. So I, I think that there could be some serious moonshots and it's going to be a blast to watch. Yep, the only only way it would have been better to watch is if it was here in Atlanta, but yeah, we all know that, that story. Um, <laughs> but no, yeah, it's it's one of the, the cool events every year. It's kind of like the dunk contest in the NBA, even though that's lost its flair a lot in the last five or so years. But it's like the old fun to watch. contest, I think. And, and I they actually, you know, when they went to this new this new format, app, it used to be you get your 10 outs and anything that wasn't a home run was an out. It was fun, and it was, I mean, it was really cool when you got to see stuff um, like Josh Harrison put up 40 home runs in Yankee Stadium. Like, that was – that's incredible to watch. But I really do like the way they do it this year where it's the timer. Um, it's a set time. You don't have stuff going on all night. I feel like you get more action. Mm-hmm. get a lot. I think it's – I think they've done a good job the last couple of years going to the style that they have. I agree. I, I think it's done done well so that'll be fun to watch i love all-star weekend well like the jerseys i was just about to say that those god awful jerseys i mean what a, a attempt at the money a money grab by the mlb that just absolutely flipped on its back I, if somebody didn't lose their job over that then i don't know who did who does because that was the most poorly designed jersey they absolutely <laughs> pissed on a phenomenal tradition of everybody wearing their own uniform. It looks great on the field. And yet they come up with that monstrosity. You've seen beer league softball jerseys that look better than that. All of them look better than that. I, it would be cooler if it was sponsored by like some local deli and, <laughs> and had everybody's nickname on the back. I mean, it, it is a brutal atrocity to just, and some baseball other jersey in general put it, out, but this jersey's it it talk it, it takes the cake. I mean, awful. It it looks like a knockoff White Sox jersey. It does. It, it looks like something from from China that's been knocked off and done so poorly. And that's what you get when you you buy from AliExpress for twenty bucks. Yeah, it, I mean that's exactly what it looks like. And for the record, I actually like the White Sox jerseys. That wasn't a bash on the White Sox. The bash on this nonsense. <laughs> Horrible, horrible decision making. Yeah, it's gonna look terrible on TV. I am, I, I am deeply disappointed about it. I, I agree that the it looks fantastic of the players out there in their own jerseys. It, it's always looked really cool being able to just look over and you clearly know who who's from what team, and mm-hmm. it, it just it looks so cool. I I understand. I mean, even if you're gonna if you gotta do a jersey, at least make it look good. <laughs> Make it look good. I mean, alter the make, make it a national make it a national league jersey. Make it an American league jersey. Don't make it have the team logos. If you're gonna do a team jersey, make it a team logo. Not everyone have their own crappy logo on a crappy jersey. Horrible. Sorry, there's your, there's your rant tonight of, of that. I mean, I didn't I didn't expect to do this, but no, it, it's bad. It had to be done. That was that's brutal. Um. To think of, I think that covers most of the All Star festivities, and uh, I, I guess we'll kind of segue into the last little bit of, of baseball, which was the, the cultural series, which was the last couple of weeks. Um, I hope the fans out there listening to this podcast got to catch it. I know we've done a lot of college talk, and we, we really didn't do any um, too much previewing or anything going into it. It's it's a hard sport to get into college baseball. It's a blast if you haven't watched it. Um, but the, the World Series is always good because you're getting the best of the best in, in the energy and the high level. But I went to a crap load of games as my parents live here in Omaha and Tennessee was out here. So I was out for the for the series. But I, I guess I'll ask you, what was your opinion of watching it as a fan at home? It's great. I mean, it, you hit the nail on the head. The energy in the College World Series is awesome. I mean, it, you got a bunch of young guys. You know, some of them will, will usually, you know, a handful of them will play professional ball, but a lot of those guys, it's kind of the end of the line for them. And it's, it's just cool. I mean, the, throughout the whole playoffs, I mean, we talked about the Tennessee walk-off. Um, the games in the World Series itself weren't too competitive, but it, it was just still it's, 
it's such a yeah, positive it was sad that we didn't have any really I mean you did have a couple walk-offs you had one on a walk-off pitch and one on a walk-off single and and there were a couple games that were really great um Mississippi State's comeback one night against Texas was was awesome it was awesome um and so like there were some really great stories there is the not so great story about how NC State season got cut with um COVID absolutely gutted for that team with how great they were playing and, and how set up they were having won the first two games and only need to win one of two against Vanderbilt. But, and I don't really want to get personally into all the politics of what happened. It, it was a crappy situation. Um, but I do think that the very end of the college world series, the most deserving team absolutely won. And that was yep. the state. I was going to say, you know, I, it is an unfortunate situation for NC state. I, frankly did sympathize for the Vandy guys because had they even won, nobody would have wanted to see that. I mean, it, and, and it's not their fault. It's not yeah, it, it was just a bad situation for them because you're sitting there and Vandy's going for back-to-back. No one really wanted, no one wants a team to go back-to-back. You want to see somebody else new, new win. Mississippi State's in there. They'd never won a national championship in baseball and also never won one in their athletic department in general. So you can have that great story. And and then you get this whole COVID situation with NC State, who was a great underdog that everybody loved. And it had nothing to do with them. I know there's a big narrative out there about uh, Tim Corbin forcing NC State to get retested and the, the vaccinated players get tested. It's, it's a load of nonsense. I, I'm go out there and look up an article. I can't remember the guy who, who wrote it, but it's from D1 Baseball Reference. If you look at the situation, it does an awesome job of chronicling the entire thing from start to finish of what happened and explains everything in great detail. So, yeah, but uh, no, I, I, I think it's awesome. I'm, uh, I think it's an event that doesn't get as much traction as, you know, I think a lot of MLB fans would really enjoy watching the college world series. And I don't think it, it happens that often. Um, so hopefully it, it'll, keep trending and having these exciting outcomes, but the, uh, the COVID thing was kind of a damper on the whole deal, but hats off to Mississippi state. That's awesome for their school. I have a, a good buddy of mine. Who's a Mississippi state grad who uh, was pretty ecstatic. And well, uh, and I mean, I was sitting there, I went to all three games um, and God, you could have, you could have told me that this stadium was, was sitting in the middle of Starkville. Uh, it, it was, <laughs> I, it was, at minimum 85% maroon the entire time. Um, there's very little, there's probably like another 5%, five of it was Vandy and then probably 10% of it was neutral. And it was really, really cool. The fans were so into it. They brought, so even the first game, they're down seven runs and they get a double. And I looked over at my dad and I was like, God, I, you could, you'd think that they just tied the game up in the bottom of the ninth, the way that fans are cheering and they're down seven. And so, but it proved you um, Vanderbilt really struggled on defense and it's amazing. We, we kind of take it for granted with the Braves, I think drawing this back to the Braves. They've been so defensive focused the last few years. I, I think that shows you just what defense can do. They had six, what could have been eight errors, depending on how you, a very generous score there in Omaha and nine hits over, over three games. And it just, I think it broke their pitching of when you keep getting error after error after error and unearned runs, it breaks the will of a team. So. It's good that the Braves have that defense to not have these problems. Yeah. Say that again. So, yeah, I think that pretty well covers the the college baseball uh, side of it. Seriously, though, watch it every year if you can. Come to Omaha. If you are a baseball fan, I promise you will absolutely love it. You won't regret it. It's it's an experience like no other going to these games. Um, Doesn't matter who you cheer for. People are kind. Um, to enjoy it. It's baseball. It's baseball. You can't beat it. And it's not Fenway, so you don't have to worry about getting jumped outside the stadium. <laughs> Very um, people in the Midwest are nice. I do want to briefly touch on uh, some pretty big news in college sports. Uh, college athletes are now allowed to be sponsored. Ooh, the NIL. Uh, yes. I wanted to get your thoughts on it, and then I will, I will touch on my perception of it. I think it's, I think it's due. It was, it was only a matter of time um, that we were going to get this. I think that this is going to affect less athletes than people think. They think that every athlete is going to go make it a whole lot of money. And I think it's really only going to be about the, the big stars. 
um, for most teams. Although I will say there are certain, there are two types of teams that I think will benefit most from this. And those will be the, the blue buds or the blue bloods that maybe were down, i.e. a Tennessee, a Nebraska, a Michigan, who I think have been kind of down the last few years, like those type of teams that just have the fan base and the history behind it, that their players, a lot of their players, even their bad players will still make money off of because their fans are so rabid. And also teams in really small markets. And by that, I'm or, or a small team in a big market. So a team like UNLV, they're in Vegas. They have advertising out the wazoo there opportunities for their team. And I think players can go make a whole lot of money at those schools. And it might draw some pretty big talent to go make money in the way that a business would. You can pay more than another company would in a sense. And I think it could attract some talent um, that they wouldn't normally be able to. So that's the way I see this working out. And other than that, I see it basically benefiting the stars of the game and, and moving on from there. I don't like it. Really? <laughs> no, I, I don't like it. I I think what makes college sports special, and I know I'm sure I'll hear that, you know, the big school guys do get paid. It's not secret. It's, you know, it, yeah. I mean, they're, they're making money under the rug or through, you know, some loophole one way or the other. But I think the issue is going to be you're giving these kids basically – a blank check and a lot of college kids myself included when I was 18 years old if someone would hand me $200,000 it would not be there when I graduated it would be you know spent at bars buying non buying cars and that's what worries me about just the development of these individuals because uh I'm not sure what the exact number is but very few college athletes actually play professional ball or professional, whatever their sport is, not just baseball. Yeah. But, um, so I think unless they're very tactical about how they're, they're taking the money and I just think it's going to, it's going to damage these, these kids because they won't have, they're, they're getting these paychecks. Right. And so they won't have the drive to, you know, get to the professional level because they're already getting paid. And, and I think it damages what makes college sports fun is that a lot of people just play for the love of the game. I mean, I, we talked, I, I played college golf on the division two level. Like I knew I wasn't going to play professional golf. I would have loved to, but I played golf because I love to play golf. And I think the schools that are going to get hurt are like the ones that I went to where you're, you don't, have the money to offer these kids you don't have any sort of sponsorship deals where they're going to just end up going you know to bigger schools or trying to get bigger schools and and it's just going to become this race to the bottom sort of deal where what's the point of playing if i'm going to play for free and then i financially these these smaller schools that are on kind of shoestring budgets for their teams in general aren't going to be able to recruit any kind of talent at all and, and so that's, that's my biggest concern. Like you get your guy like Bo Nix, he already had his sponsorship deal in place with um, Milo's T, you know, and, and stuff like that. So like guys like that are going to be the ones who make a ton of money, but I don't think it's going to be very wide based across the board, like you said, but that's where it becomes an issue is like, if you're a bench player from Tennessee and you're not getting any sponsorship deals, you're not making any money but the starting quarterback's making $300,000 a year. So then you get this inner locker room, you know, descent towards each other because some guys are there for the money and some guys are there because they want to win. So I, that's my concern is just from the, the pureness of college sports. That last thing you said actually does bring up a really good point is which guys will go to a school because I was talking about my before of like, because that school can offer you the best opportunity to market yourself and make the most money in your four years. And which guys are going to go to a school because they love the school, they love the coach and they want to win. And there's going to be a big difference in that work ethic. And I think that is something really important to watch as we go forward in a sport like football, that's got eyes on every position in a sport like basketball, where there's only a few people, it'll be really interesting. I think it'll be, I think there'll be a really big learning curve for the first probably two or three years. And I think it'll kind of 
the work its way out after that. So it, there will be speed bumps. There's no doubt about that. Um, yeah. I guess going on this topic, curious on your thoughts. Reggie Bush is um, really clamoring for his Heisman Trophy back since now the only reason he lost it was because he was paid for his autographs in college. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to, to base, basically be like, hey, look, this had nothing to do with my play on the field. I earned every yard I got. It, had, it was no performance enhancer. And now you're saying it's legal. Should Bush get his Heisman back? I think he should have. I, I mean, I think you should do. I see there's, I, I mean, I thought it was kind of stupid in the first place that they took it away. I agree. Um, but I, I really cannot believe that they're actually trying to fight him back on this about, no, we won't give it to you back. It, it's just a, it's, they have no basis to make that argument anymore. They're saying that, <laughs> yes, he broke a rule that was set at that time, but you know, the quote unquote home run King, he steroids for 10 years of his career. Oh, and that's you know, away from him. Yeah, but and and it, it's kind of back to the Pete Rose thing. Like Pete Rose gambled on baseball. He bet on himself. He would bet <laughs> that he would have at least two hits. He never bet against his team, never threw games. Reggie Bush obviously wasn't throwing games for USC to get paid. He was signing autographs and he came from, you know, a tough upbringing to, you know, help support his family. You know, sometimes the the ends do justify the means, like, you know. Yeah. So I, as, as harmless as that, I mean, the guy's getting paid because he's really good at football and you went to a big school. I mean, it, like I said, it had nothing to do with the fact that he earned every single yard. He was the best player in college football that year. He should have his Heisman Trophy back. If yeah. the NCAA really doesn't give it back to him, I think they're just – they've been fighting a lot of losing battles, and I, I hope they don't waste a lot of energy on this one. Yeah, and it, I mean, should he have done it? No, and I'm sure, you know, in hindsight, he probably wouldn't do it again, knowing like the paychecks that were coming down the road from him for the NFL. But again, a young kid making a lot of money or having the opportunity, I should say, to make a lot of money. And he took it and as a result got his Heisman trip. I think if you talk to him now, he would return every penny he got for the Heisman back. Nope. Then he didn't make a lot of money in the NFL. So, yeah, exactly. So I, I hope they give it to him back. He's, I mean, he's been a good role model and a pretty much stand-up guy from college through, you know, NFL. So, right there with you, man. I mean, we're we're on the same page. But hey, guess what? For once, we did not agree with each other, uh, listeners out there. For all of you that that try and sit there and say, "Oh, you guys never never disagree with each other," well, we disagree on NIL. I actually think it's good. I think it was a matter of time. I, I think it is going to help out certain players in certain situations, like a Reggie Bush. Um, and Joe thinks it's going to possibly really uh, harm and change the college game. We'll see which one of us is right. <laughs> um, Time will tell. You, you bring up good points there. So it, it'll be interesting to see how specifically this, because this football season will be the first uh, real signs of it. If I have to, I will say, if I have to start seeing football players with sponsors like loaded down their pants and all the sudden. That better not happen. I, yeah, I really hope it doesn't. That will look atrocious. I keep me those classic clean college uniforms. Um, so we'll we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up on the on the last topic here tonight, which we always like to always like to throw in golf. Obviously, golf's year round. We, we keep it going. And uh, two weeks ago, we were doing our U.S. Open preview pod, and Joe sat there and told you that chalk is chalk and uh, stick with chalk. And sure enough, chalk won. So John Rom gets it done for you, Joe. It's you called it. Yes. I go with go someone a little bit further down the board. He was right there in it going in the back nine, but could not hold it off. And and John Rom comes out of COVID. I mean, should have won the mo- kind of sort of should have won the memorial. I mean, basically did win it. He was going to win the memorial. He was going to win the memorial and, <laughs> and gets COVID and then comes back and to be able to basically go back to back and to prove what he was gonna do there and do it at the US Open is just flat out incredible. Yeah, it was awesome. And you know, he, he was playing too good not to lead in. I mean, that was the biggest from, I know you picked somebody else just for the sake of conversation, but that was the, to me, the biggest no brainer pick. I mean, he was in form. He's been due to win a major. He's been one of the best, most, and not even one of the best, by far the most consistent player in the world for the last three years, probably. Yep. And, and so it was his time. He'd had, he had a pretty close call in Augusta 
Um, it was just a matter of time before he put himself in contention because one thing about John Rahm throughout his career, the guy does not fold. No, he is on, that an guy absolute is... closer. No, I think we said that. I, one of us said that, I think, two weeks ago on the pod. That guy makes clutch putt after clutch putt. Those putts on 17 and 18, I, I'm, I, I hate using the word tiger ass, but it worked. That, that's what it felt like. I mean, the guy just steps up and stone cold drops back to back 15 to 20 footers, left to right breaking hard. Mm-hmm. the most clutch moment possible. Yeah, I mean, it, it was phenomenal. And the passion that guy plays the game with is, is just great, too. It's, it's so refreshing to see because a lot of the, uh, the superstars of today aren't like Tiger, where they're a little more like try to keep the level head throughout the round, which is great because everybody has to play the game differently. But he, he wears his heart on his sleeve for better or for oh, worse. He's a, he's a full-blown Spaniard. There's no yeah. doubt about that. And just – I loved the fact on a, a Sunday back nine where it seemed like everybody else was kind of falling by the wayside that somebody went out there and won the damn thing. Yeah, I was so scared, though. For, we had that, that back nine, that leaderboard going in the back nine was insane. You had John Rahm, you had Mackenzie Hughes, you had Bryson, you had Brooks, you had Morikawa, you had Rory. I, I mean, all these guys are within two shots of the lead coming in the back nine. There was another half dozen uh louis was there I, I mean the whole the whole you know top half of the world is pretty much there and fighting it out and then they get to the back nine and everyone's just bogeying left and right and making doubles and you're like is someone just gonna like stumble their way to it and then and then john rom does what he plays a perfect back nine flawless makes I, I don't think he had a bogey i think he had the two birdies there at the end and that was it on the back nine and it like completely earned it and I feel bad for Louis make, getting another runner up, but John Rom, fantastic stuff. Those fist bumps were sweet. Yeah, that was great. I mean, that that's how you want to see somebody win a major, especially their first major. I mean, on Father's Day, he had just been a father. We talked about that leading into the Masters, how he potentially wasn't going to play because if if his son was going to born, be born, his priorities were going to be in the right place. Um, another cool thing, uh, you know, he has a very close relationship with Phil Mickelson. Phil's brother, Tim, was his coach at Arizona State. And Phil's kind of been his, you know, de facto mentor, I guess, on tour. Uh, so Phil wins the PGA. John wins right after him. John's hitting balls on the range waiting for the close. And there's Phil sitting there probably sipping on a cocktail watching him warm up. That was, that was really cool to see him him carrying the chair for his for his wife all the way across the yeah. the walkway to the range he's just sitting there chatting her up watching john rom just strike balls down the range it's yeah phil what a sleaze it out. <laughs> <laughs> there is nobody like him it is yeah. fantastic stuff yeah but that that was great i mean i i said on the last podcast that i wasn't a big big rom fan and I, my perceptions really changed on the guy just and in the last couple of weeks, just how classy he was about the whole thing. His, his post round interviews were fantastic. And, and that, that's just a, a guy who d- deserved a major handled himself. Well, won out and won the thing in a phenomenal fashion and uh, on a, on a great time too, for him and his family. So it was cool. I mean, he, he said something and I'm going to probably butcher the actual quote, but he, uh, he talking about his son, he said, you know, this little guy doesn't know what it means, but you know, you know how important this is. So that was that was cool. It, it's always cool when guys like that who are pretty much on top of the world at the moment have such a refreshing perspective on life. Yeah, it's it's refreshing to see um, that they they can be able to really uh, understand what the moment means, um, be able to live in it, and and not think about you know oh great well here's one and, and trying to chase more. It's like no, I'm going to enjoy this one while I have it and. I think he he truly did that. So it was, it was really cool. Really happy for him. God, that course is his his play story. Is John Rom's plays that guy's. I think he's. I don't know if he's ever finished outside the top ten. Definitely not outside the top twenty. Anytime he's ever played at Bory. Um, so it was it was a perfect storm for him playing his best golf. And then now we've got we've got one more major left this year, and we're getting right into the, the real meat of the schedule now. The next next kind of six to eight weeks in the PGA tour is kind of the dog days of summer in a sense of you got a lot of smaller field events with 
that are really important for those swing guys, the guys that are trying to be out there making their card, like our friend Vince Whaley with, with Michael Hines. Um, as this kind of, we had that interview way back earlier in the year, but uh, it, it, this is an important time for those type of players to make up their ground and, and get their FedEx Cup points to try and secure their card. It absolutely is. Um, so while it's not exciting for the main stage, if, if you're a golf fan and you follow the up-and-coming guys and follow a little bit of college golf, it's cool to see those names starting to, to battle it out towards the end. So, um, Look at Davis Thompson just turns pro right out of college, and two weeks later he goes out and shoots – 62 today, 63 or whatever, and it's nine under lean. Yeah. It's just awesome. so cool to see these guys just walk out of college and, oh, yeah, now I'm going to go compete, you know, with the best of the best. I mean, it, it transition from college golf in the last, I mean, I guess close to a decade now to the, the PA Tour level has been, like, minimal. These guys are coming out and they're absolutely ready to play. It's – I, I don't know really where, why, how, I can't explain it, but it's just been a steady climb of junior golf gotten better and equipment's gotten better. And these guys just have a better mentality about it. They, they know that they can go out there and they're like, why not me? They've seen other people do it before them. Why not me? It's the, it's the change in mentality that golf is now an athletic sport where these guys are doing the training. So like they have the strength and the, the level of fitness that they don't need to be 30 years old anymore yep. that, you know, throughout for a lot of these junior guys start training, you know, early in high school, throughout college. I mean, every college golf program now has some sort of strength program that they're, they're doing for their, their team. And I think that's been the biggest part. And then I think it's, you see guys before you that you played other tournaments with, whether it's a U.S. junior event or you played regional stuff against them, doing it a couple years ahead of you and you know that you were neck and neck with that guy at one point and they have that that subconscious confidence to go out there and be able to do it yeah it's like playing with your buddies you've got someone that you know you can that that uh you know hey you've you've beaten them before you've played close to them you know you can go do it on any day if you exactly once you can go do it again so it's it's a cool feeling it's it's cool to watch these guys um now I'm starting, you know, we're at this age ourselves where we've competed against these guys in, in our junior days. And it's cool to see those guys that did surpass us. And now they're out there and yeah. makes you, makes you feel a little bit better when you're getting waxed by them by 10 shots over two days, a few years ago, but. In some cases, I wish it was 10. <laughs> <laughs> oh, completely, completely feel you there. I mean, we've had a, We've had a, a pretty good, pretty good podcast here tonight. We've had a lot of information, a lot of, a lot of really good topics. Um, is there anything else that we're missing? And we got, got through Braves, got through College World Series, got through the golf. What else am I missing? I don't think we're missing anything. I, I will give uh, to a sport that's starting to grow a little bit in the United States, Formula One. If anybody that our listeners follow that, I, I've become a, a pretty big fan. Uh, after watching the Netflix documentary series um, Drive to Survive. So check that out. But um, this season has been unbelievable with the competition between the, the Red Bull team and the Mercedes team and a little back in Mercedes has been you know, the powerhouse for the last six seasons and they've won every year. And now Red Bull's got the lead by about 40 points. So it'll be interesting coming down the, uh, the second half of that, that series. So. It's on Sunday mornings. It's amazing the parallel, I think, between people that, that oddly, there's a lot of golf fans that are really getting into Formula One. I, I don't I don't know if it's just because it's a Sunday morning and Sunday seems to be kind of a golf day and that's what it is. I, I have no clue, but I, I have seen the correlation. I myself haven't gotten too much into it, but I, I, I see it all around and uh, I, I've had it on before, but it's, it is ra- rapid, rapidly rising, like you said. Yeah. It's, it's a great sport. There's a lot of, you know, something we talk about a lot is the business aspect of sports and there's, I don't think there's any sport where the, where money and management plays a bigger factor than in formula one. So, you know, do a little, cause if, if you just kind of jump on and watch a race, it's not incredibly exciting for the majority of it. There's a few moments that are really exciting, but if you understand the whole aspect of it, it's pretty pretty fun to watch. So. Yeah. You're cheering for people to, to finish 20th and 30th because they're getting those, those teams points. And 
Um, it's, right. it's not just, it's not just the winners. There's other, it's exciting across through the entire field. Cause every, every little bit matters. Mm-hmm. It's that team aspect, which is really cool. Absolutely. But just wanted to throw that in there. Good stuff, Joe. We, uh, we hit, we hit it across the board. So, um, we'll let, we'll let everyone else go. Um, we appreciate you guys sticking with us. Like we said, well, two weeks, it'll be all-star break week. Um, so we'll have a, primary focus on the all-star break and, w- and what's going on with that. And then, and that'll also be the week of the open championship. So that's what you have to, to look forward to is an all-star break and USO or British open uh, podcast coming at you in, in two weeks. Absolutely. It's going to be a fun one. All righty, everyone. Well, have a good one and uh, enjoy your 4th of July holiday, everyone. <laughs>